The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I hope uh, you're all ready for a good fight today. <laughs> Because I have a feeling that that's what's going to be happening. Um, a lot of times recently, particularly, I've, I've had guests on who were kind of in agreement with me and who um, knew some of the ins and outs of Washington, for example, and what was behind Obamacare and uh, various topics like that. Well, today I sort of inadvertently <laughs> have a guest who I discovered as I was reading his book last night that there were a lot of things that I didn't agree with. Um, however... However, apparently a lot of people are, are finding it very helpful because I was just told that it's number six on Amazon. So, my guest is Damiano DeSano Yakovitsi, and his book is called Sooner or Later, Restoring Sanity to Your End-of-Life Care. Now, I, I call today's show, Where's Waldo, Where's Death? And that's because um, the headlines every day are so full of death. And yet we uh, reread that and we disconnect from it. I'll, just today's headlines, for example, a sampling. Uh, in today's headlines are nuclear weapons, wars, of course, all over the world, swine flu, impending death, uh, mine accidents with some dead miners, motorcycle uh, a race a motorcycle racer died, Corey Hames, some new findings in his death. The Walking Dead is a new TV series, and so there's some news about that. 21 fetuses were discarded in China. So, um, <laughs> dead fetuses. <laughs> so, why is it that we are, as a society, obsessed with death? Well, uh, for one reason, I think that our fear of death makes us want to know where death is at every moment. And that's why uh, it's like, where's Waldo, where's death? We, we're sort of hyper-vigilant, looking to see where death is and whether it's going to be striking us today, what the likelihood is. In fact, uh, I think that this is the root behind some of our crazy, busy kinds of uh, obsessiveness with the Internet or with, of course, <laughs> being crazy busy, listening to Voice America is always a good thing as a caveat. Um, but are we trying to avoid thinking about our own mortality by making ourselves so incredibly busy that we don't have time to think about the fact that we don't have forever in this world? Well, these are all questions that um, my guest has had a very interesting background at, to think about. And um, 
and which has brought about his point of view, which is very understandable. So, Tomiano, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Dr. Lieberman. Um, I, I, I want to talk, I want to read actually the preface to your book because I found this really fascinating. Um, Damiano wrote, uh, prefaced his book with the following. I'd like to share a moment from my own childhood, which was spent growing up in an upstate New York funeral home in the Adirondacks. As a little boy, I thought everyone had a casket showroom in the basement, pretty flowers lining the walls, and occasionally a beautifully laid out old neighbor sleeping in a highly polished piece of furniture for a few days. My siblings and I would take fresh orchids and roses to our teachers, even in the middle of a blizzard. A neighbor's death was a serious occasion for a party. People congregated in our first-floor living room, mingling, talking, and laughing. After the burial, the crowd moved to the deceased's house for food, drinks, and more conversation. That was my life in the 1950s and 60s. He then uh, went on, and I won't give it all away. We'll hear about his journey, but, you know... Needless to say, growing up in a family which presumably owns a funeral home is a very unusual um, and very psychologically uh, impactful kind of childhood. So tell us about that. Before we get into your book and your ideas about death, um, I'm just fascinated by this journey that you've taken. Oh, my father wanted to be uh, a doctor, but unfortunately... We come from a very, very poor Italian family, so the best thing that he could do was when he went into the Navy, he learned how to be a mortician. So that's how he uh, earned a living for all of us, which was actually a very good living because since we come from a a very ethnic Italian family, we had a lot of ties to Europe, and um, he would be able to send us in the summers to Europe and uh, bring our family from Europe to visit us. So I always was interested in that. Um, growing up in a funeral home seemed perfectly natural to me. I really didn't understand what all the hoo-ha was about death and dying. It never really bothered me. In fact, when I was a little boy, my father would roust up the boys to help him on a funeral errand to go collect a body in somebody's house or an apartment or hospital. So, I mean, they never really scared me. Um, my father always said to be more afraid of the living than the dead. So that really, it never, it never really bothered me. But, um... I think I try to think of my life living in an existential way. That is that I know that I have maybe 26,000 or 27,000 days of my life for, to make up 72 or 73 years. And how am I going to spend it? And when I think about that fact, I actually live more presently and more in the moment. And I don't let all the little stuff and all the little craziness of, of life bother me because I try to look at the big picture over the whole lifespan. And growing up, both Italian, living in Italy for many, many years and living in Europe for many years, Americans have a, a curious way of looking at death, which is not, is not very European um, in that it's, it's kind of scary. And in Europe, it's, it's, very, very, it's much more natural, much more, especially for my family, it's, you know, it's, it's part of life. I won't monopolize the conversation. No, no, no. Well, this is interesting, but... So, I mean, part of that, I went to medical school. I lived in Europe for five and a half years. I went to medical school at the University of Louvain in Belgium, and I also lived in Paris. So I, you know, I understand, I mean, we do have more of a, death is more taboo here, 
And I think that part of that has to do with um, the separation where people who are dying or are sick wind up in the hospital here more quickly uh, than in Europe. And I don't know why that is, um, especially for somebody who's gone through every traditional and non-traditional avenue and then goes back. Because I, I was in critical care for 24 years, and I was one of those torture chamber nurses that <clears throat> actively took care of dying people who should never have been there in the first place because they couldn't benefit from critical care and nursing or pharmacy or chemo. They were really past it. Well, that's where we were going to be getting into our disagreeing part, but why don't we, um, why don't we continue, though? How did you get from... Uh, well, I mean, when you were going to school, did peop- did kids, certainly there's a stigma, of course, as, as we're talking about towards death in America, and did did kids at your school, um, you know, treat you differently or think, ooh, you're the, your family has a funeral no, actually home? They, actually, they looked up at my father. My father was a big benefactor in the community. He was the guy who bought the rugs for the rectory. My father was the one who started a small college. My father was very philanthropic. He also um, bought the uniforms for the kids' baseball teams. He was very, I mean, the ch- when my father died in 1973, the line of people going round the block to say goodbye to him was amazing. It was just, mm-hmm. he was very revered. Our family name is still very revered in the community in a little town called Frankfurt, New York. And... Um, my family was very honorable, and because most of the people in this little town are Italian, um, we're all related <laughs> one way or another. <laughs> so I never got any kind of a flack. Um, in fact, when I would go into little shops there, my people would ask, well, who died? They all wanted to <laughs> passed away. But, um, I mean, huh. it, was, it was more like my father was a celebrity because when we would walk down the street, I mean, people would come to him and, and hug and kiss us and, you know, speak Italian to him and uh, or English, and even people as far away as Quebec knew my father really well because um, he was also he buried a lot of the French Canadians on the French border of Canada and U.S. Well, you know, it just so happens, sort of coincidentally or ironically or something, that um, in under my hat as a as an expert witness, I just happened to have done a case related where the the plaintiff in the case was someone who was raised um, with his family who owned a funeral home. I don't oh, know. really? I think I should start getting nervous. <laughs> I hope the universe isn't trying to tell me something. But, um, but you know, certainly he had a very, this was in, t- in um, Tennessee, and certainly he had a very different experience from you where, um, for example, he would be playing when he was five or six and, and happened to come into the room where there would be bodies laid out and really found it quite disturbing and quite frightening. Uh-huh. And well, it's, it's hard for me as a psychiatrist to think that, I mean, I understand that it was different. I, I, I can kind of understand the town now and why that would be sort of a special circumstance, but even when you were just five or six or however old you were when you first, how old were you when you first saw a dead body? Oh, why, why we lived upstairs, I came, my, I was born on a, on a mortician call, he actually dropped my mother off at the hospital, and he had um, he had his hearse, and he dropped her off at the hospital. I was born, and then he picked up a body. So my, he wasn't there when I was born. 
Wow. Uh, <laughs> it's a really weird story. <laughs> you know, I guess you were sort of destined to write this book from the time you were born then. <laughs> so weird. And I'm not at all like, I have no mortician mentality at all. I mean, I, I love to go to uh, to cemeteries abroad or here and read all the old inscriptions, but, I mean, it's not it's not anything I really think about. It's just, you know, I live my life. Mm-hmm. Well, except, of course, your book, Sooner or Later, Restoring Sanity to Your End-of-Life Care is, is essentially all about facing death. Right, it is, especially for people who are gravely, gravely ill. Well, now, when, um, when you were growing up, um, you, at, at a relatively young age, you went into the Peace Corps. Now, how, um, you know, do you think that this idea of trying to live every moment to help other people as well as to enjoy it yourself was part of why you made that choice? Um, well, I was living, I went, to, I went to university in Germany and I graduated and I went down to Milan. I was uh, an interpreter and teacher at a very small school in Milan, Italy, and I lived with my relatives. And I knew I wasn't going to go anywhere in Europe because... Oh, God, the pay was so lousy, and I had to live with my relatives, which I couldn't really be independent. So I, I loved Jimmy Carter, and I loved Jimmy Carter's mom, Lillian, and I thought, well, this is a great time for me to go into the Peace Corps. So in 1976, I applied, and I went to Morocco for two, almost three years from 1977 onwards, and it really was the highlight of my life. I taught in a very small boys' school, and I lived in a little town called Meknes, which is in the middle of Morocco, and uh, it was really a wonderful, wonderful experience. And um, we got to do a lot of good. We had a clothing exchange uh, thing in Meknes where I would get clothing from the French nationals or Europeans, and me and my maid would fix them up and distribute them to her friends who were very, very poor. So it was... It was a really wonderful generative experience for me. Um, you and your maid, did you say? Yeah, we had a maid. In the Peace Corps, I, you had a maid? Oh, yeah, we did. Everybody did. She was like our, she was like our, our mommy, you know. They, uh-huh. If you wanted chicken over there, you'd have to buy a whole chicken, and she would kill it and pluck it and make it. Otherwise, you're pretty much out of luck. And I taught every day, so I really couldn't go to the market and kill it myself a chicken and, you know, make a... You see, you see this death thing is just pervading your life. All right, what's pervading? <laughs> well, our life is being um, in, invaded by the music. We have to take a break. We will come back. We will okay, get to dear. the topic of your book. I'm just kind of warming things up here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My guest is Damiano DeSano Yakovici. Uh, his book is called Sooner or Later, Restoring Sanity to Your End-of-Life Care. We're talking today about Where's Waldo, Where's Death. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. 
Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Radio by George is a lifestyle program dedicated to improving the lives of listeners by focusing on the holistic growth of their mind, body, and spirit. Host Eddie George shares his life experiences as well as the experiences of his guest commentators and experts with the listening audience to focus them toward reaching their personal and professional goals. Tune in every Monday afternoon at 1 p.m. PST, 4 p.m. EST to Radio by George on the Voice America channel and learn more from the life experiences of a man who went from being a somewhat unruly kid in the streets of Philadelphia to a retired professional athlete who has become a role model for not only young people, but for businessmen and women globally. Plan to spend your Monday afternoons with Eddie George and his empowering talk radio show, Radio by George. That's every Monday at 1 p.m. PST, right here on the Voice America channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The uh, show today is Where's Waldo, Where's Death? And my guest is Damiano DeSano Iacovici. And the book is called Sooner or Later, Restoring Sanity to Your End-of-Life Care. Um, I was uh, asking Damiano about his his own life, his own journey, because... Um, I always think it's, you know, I always put people on the couch, Dr. Carol's couch, when they, when they have written a book. I like to see where their passion for the book and the topic has come from. And Damiano was telling us about uh, his family being in the mortuary business, and he mentioned that his father had died, and I was asking during the break how old his father was, and he was only 49 years old, and um, he died of a heart attack. And I guess, I guess was your father hospitalized um, no, after he died his heart? He, no, he wasn't hospitalized. He um, had just had lunch with a Navy friend of his, and he went to take a nap, and that was it. He died like in 20 minutes hmm. on his own. Nobody even knew. What do you mean nobody knew? 
Uh, my brother went to wake him, and he was already I gone. I see. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's sad that he was that young. And then, <laughs> and then you said that you didn't want to go in, take over the business. You were 21. Right. You just turned 21, but you didn't want to take over the business because you never liked it, which I kind of think is an interesting um, interesting comment, considering that you've written this book, which I guess we should get to. But before we get to the book, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to get into briefly your, you, you, we were talking about how you were in the Peace Corps, and then you wound up, you, you eventually became a nurse. And you especially were working, was work, you were working, um, especially with a lot of AIDS patients. Now, I think that's an important link to, to talk about before we get to your book, because I think that also colored your ideas. Right. Well, where do you want me to start? So tell us about that, from coming home from the Peace Corps and becoming, deciding to become a nurse and then winding up uh, treating AIDS patients. Well, actually, there was a little in, there was a little interlude between going into nursing school at the University of San Francisco to coming out of the Peace Corps in '79. Um, because of my language skills, I went to the University of Würzburg and I majored in languages and I was a, an interpreter for a while in Italy. I came back and um, I drove a bus in San Francisco in many languages, and I'd drive my little mini bus and I'd be translating doing the city tour or the Muir Woods tour or the Sonoma tour, and I got picked up by an international tour operator called Tauk Tours out of Westport, Connecticut, and I did international tours in different languages, and I got to travel first class all over the world. Well, I was sitting in a hotel room in Waikiki over one year, and um, all of a sudden I started reading in the newspaper about this mysterious disease. This was 1981, and... um, we had a house in San Francisco, and uh, I'd get calls from people telling me so-and-so sick. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going on. This is a new, brand-new disease going on, and they're dying. So I thought, well, maybe I should think about this. And I went home, and I spent a winter, and I did some volunteer work, but I wasn't a nurse yet. And um, uh, some very good friends of mine got the disease, and, of course, in those days, with so much hysteria and prejudice, many of the families threw their children away, and there was nobody to take care of them. So mm. guess who took care of them? Uh, Tom and I took care of a lot of people in our homes. And in those days, there wasn't anything you could do. I mean, they were given a, a cyclovir. That was the only antiretroviral that there was in those days. Um, most people died of infection or sepsis. They had uh, pneumocystis carini pneumonia or PCP, and there really wasn't that much to do about it. They did have Bactrim in those days, but um, most of the young people died, and there was a lot of bad stigma attached, and I just felt compelled to do something about it. And since I didn't know anything about medicine or nursing, I thought that maybe I should go learn something about it. So I was sitting one day at University of San Francisco trying to decide what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I, oh God, I was in my 30s when I went to nursing. And uh, this lady came and sat next to a bench, and it was the dean of nursing at the University mm. of San Francisco, and her name is Faye Bauer. And uh, she asked me what I was doing, and I explained that I thought maybe I should go to nursing school or medical school. And she said, well, um, based on that, if you want to come to the School of Nursing, I'll help you. But I didn't know who she was. Mm-hmm. And when I said, and when I told her that I was thinking about it, she opened every single door for me, and that's when all the magic started. Mm. I got scholarships. I got uh, I was a, a teacher's assistant at the anatomy and physiology lab. I prepared all the lab stuff for um, the nursing students and 
it was really a great, great, and the doors just started opening. But I think the fact that I got this knowledge and I got it rather cheaply and easily because I did get a lot of scholarships and a lot of help from everybody. So I had a great support system at home and my friends, and um, and there was a great need to know something so that I could help in, in my little way. And I went to work uh, on an eighth floor right in the beginning, and uh, I got to see a lot. And I, I realized a lot about my own life that every time I went to an acquaintance or friend had died, I felt like I was going to live through this and I was going to tell about it and I was going to do some good in the world. And that's really the story of how I got to nursing. Hmm. Well, it's an amazing story. I mean, you know, it was the universe plopped her down right next to you. That's um, right. <laughs> that's right. So, yeah. okay, so now we're kind of there. So from these experiences um, on the AIDS floor, is that helped to develop some of your attitudes about death and dying and, and uh, deciding about end-of-life care that is in your book. So why don't you, why don't you open up the door to that? Um, well, my book is a manual or a roadmap for anybody um, who has been given a terminal diagnosis. That is, if all the traditional and non-traditional medicines aren't working anymore, if there's more harm or futility in them, I advocate people to really take a look at their lives. I help them process their emotions using Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's um, five stages of grief so that they can start thinking clearly. Uh, as a critical care nurse, I saw a lot of fool's errands going on, especially for people who are very well insured. That is, they'd get all these kind of treatment options, they'd get chemotherapy or radiation that was completely futile and harmful, bringing their, their blood cells counts down to zero. Actually, I thought it probably shortened their lives. Um, for me, it was an enormous waste of resources, and I've been waiting 23 years to write this book, actually, from all my experiences, but I've been so busy I didn't really have time. But I always thought that I would like to do something as important as this. And for me, sooner or later, is about a person taking control and I do it in the vein of Auntie Mame. Remember that film with Rosalind Russell? Yes. Where she tells Gooch is taking notes about the book that Auntie Mame is writing. And she said, Agnes, you haven't, you've taken my notes all this time, but you haven't gotten the meaning of my book. Live. And Agnes says, live? Yes. Life is a banquet, and all these poor suckers are just starving to death. So in that vein... I tell people in my book, if you look, you've got this amount of time that's left to you. Make the most of it. Um, make a legacy. Take pictures. Make a memory. Tell people what's on your mind. You may not ever get the chance again. Don't live in fear. Don't live in, in grief. But just look at the world the way it is. Just look at how beautiful, you know, just, just enjoy these last moments that you have. And... Uh, Try to live your life with dignity. Try to do things for others and yourself that will bring you great joy. And it's all about living as a complete human being until the last day. Just try to do your best. Try to see your life as, as having a beginning and an end. It's also a time for people to get some kind of peace and spirituality if that's their bent. It's a time to ask forgiveness and be forgiven. It's a time to beg pardon as well. It's just a great time. And I've seen people struggle with that. I mean, they, they sometimes deal with their own issues in a very bad way. They want every single treatment, which they know and we know is completely futile. 
they struggle all the way to the end. Or there are those who, I think, live their lives with joy, even if it's for less than six months, and they really have an experience that is beautiful to me, a nice ending to a life well-lived. And that's how I want to end my life. And that's how I try to live my life every single day, is I try to say, yeah, this is a, this is a day, this is a gift. I have this beautiful day ahead of me. You know, what kind of good will I do in... What kind of good am I going to ever accomplish in this day? And I also like to tell myself that, you know, every hearse is not followed by a U-Haul. You can't take anything with you. All you mm-hmm. take with I you like that. Your, all you do is take your joy. You take your good memories. You take all the love that you've given in life. And that's really how I try to live my life. I try to live with a center of love and forgiveness. I, I don't like to hold grudges. I don't like to pick fights. Um, you know, whatever whatever somebody wants to believe in certainly is their belief system, but it may not be mine. But uh, I think that I think that as far as the universe goes, I I think I hit on something this the generosity and kindness thing that it's given me so much in return. I can't I mean I can't begin to tell you, Doctor Lieberman, that I think life just gives me all these wonderful surprises. And you know, <clears throat> we're starting a foundation with any of the prophets, it will be the, called the Thomas Edwin Walls Foundation. Hmm. And what we're going to do with any of the money that Tom left me and any money we make from the book is we are going to educate the future nurses, the future physicians, future social workers, and future respiratory care therapists. We're going to give them scholarships so they can learn biomedical ethics, they can learn end-of-life issues, and they can advocate for sooner hospice placements for people because I think... We got some from our nursing school. Wait, Damiano, I'm sorry, but I have to interrupt you. I think that that's very exciting. We'll talk more about that. But um, but there's another another break we have to take. Uh, The show today is Where's Waldo, Where's Death? Damiano Dasano Iacovazzi is the author of Sooner or Later, Restoring Sanity to Your End-of-Life Care. Um, I just want to say, and we'll talk more about it when we come back, that of course a lot of the things that you just said I agree with it's it's the part about where when where you stop trying to keep being cured um, that I think we disagree about but anyway we'll get we'll get to that now the gloves will come off when we come back you're listening to Dr. Carol's couch and I'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieberman the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. If you want to get ahead, you have to stand out from the crowd, the clutter, and the competition. Are you? Tune in each week for Standing Out with Lauren Saunier. Lauren and her guests have the secrets that can help you and your business get noticed, get attention, and achieve your desired results no matter where you're starting from. Standing Out with Lauren Saunier, live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get ready to be a marketing machine. 
what it comes down to, ladies, is that defining line between been there, done that, and ain't going back, baby. Yeah, I've heard them call you yuppies and baby boomers, maybe even dolls, babes, darling, sugar, and sweetheart, but I say that women are truly amazing. Join Dr. Marlene for Amazing Women, Brains, Beauty, and Style, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific, right here on the Voice America Women's Radio Network. At last, a radio program dedicated to helping women look fabulous and feel fabulous naturally. You'll pick up tips on natural detox, learn about the benefits of whole foods, practice stress and relaxation techniques, and learn more about health, relationships, remedies, and self-motivation. Tune in to Feel and Look Fabulous with Arena. Broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We promise you, it's women's time well spent. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking about where's Waldo, where's death, with Damiano DeSano Yakovatsi, uh, sooner or later restoring sanity to your end-of-life care. End of and um, now the gloves are coming off because um, I think what you've been talking about so far is fabulous, but but I think we we obviously are coming at this whole issue of death differently. I mean, some of the things we agree about, like you know what people are doing to avoid thinking about death and how we death is taboo in America and so on, and and um, you know we're not comfortable with it and 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 all of that. But I think, you know, of course, I didn't grow up in a funeral home, um, and um, I and I didn't really, um, uh, you know, have I wasn't as touched or involved with taking care of people um, from the AIDS epidemic as you have been, um, and I think we just have come at, at this from a very different way, and in particular, in regard to what it is, you know, how soon people should sign that they want to be a no-code, which is sort of one of the things that you seem to advocate in your book a little sooner um, than I would say that. Now, um, you know, when I was before or after I went to medical school, I had sort of, because I went to medical school in Europe, I had kind of a a longer um, period of medical school and of uh, sub-internships and internships before I did my psychiatry residency. So, I had a year and a half of medicine and surgery and pediatrics and uh, OBGYN. 
um, and then a straight a year of straight medicine. So I was exposed. I treated a lot of patients with various medical kinds of problems, and um, uh, my attitude then, and I don't think that it would be really different now, was, um, and I was <laughs> maybe it was a uh, well, I guess maybe part of it had to do with where I was in training. I did the sub-internship in Connecticut, and then I did an internship at uh, the New York Infirmary. And we had sort of a a cowboy um, kind of a, you know, like death is the bad guy, you know, and and, um, we were going to root him out. And I would do, I remember just being um, very, (laughs) I don't want to say obsessed, but um, very determined to try to make sure that my patients didn't die. Um, For example, I remember a woman who was probably in her 80s, and she had multiple illnesses, and and diabetes was one of them. Um, She didn't have cancer, or she didn't have a terminal illness per se, except that um, she had lots of, you know, she had some cardiovascular problems, and she had diabetes. And so with the diabetes, she would have, um, of course, problems with the her peripheral vascular system and so she started having um, to have her feet and legs amputated little by little I mean you know she started having no blood supply to her feet or to like to her toes and then to her the middle part of her foot and her ankles and going up her feet her legs and um, then she had different electrolyte imbalances, and her heart was very weak. And you know, as far as uh, um, being able to withstand these surgeries and so on. And but I kept pulling her through these things. And she, every every year, or so well, I guess it had to be even more than that, more frequently than that. She would come back. We'd get her amp- something amputated, and she would be fine and able to leave the hospital. And then she would come back in a relatively short time, and she'd have to have a little more amputated. Now, there were this was somewhat controversial, in that there were some people who would say, "Well, why why do you keep saving her?" And she oh, and she would code. You know, each time she was in the hospital, she would code at least once, meaning, you know, that the CPR team would have to be called and she'd be barely clinging to life. And I would help her cling and, um, and, and she would want, you know, stay alive and have another surgery and another amputation, go home and keep coming back. Now, you know, there was a question, well, are we really, um, of course, she would also get bed sores, and, you know, there would be some pain. But each time she left the hospital, this little old lady was very happy that she was leaving the hospital. And, well, yeah, she was probably happy to get away from me. <laughs> but she was happy that she was going out to be able to live life, even, you know, minus a couple of more inches of leg, but be able to live life um, for another couple of months or however long it was. And and when she came back, she was still willing to go through this to keep having whatever, however, however much extra time she could have. And that is kind of a, uh, in a nutshell, my um, my philosophy about which which is very much um, different than yours. Uh, as as to, I mean, I agree, I agree that people should be able to make their own choices. You know, I would I 
if if someone didn't want to go through all that or or in some other kind of circumstance with cancer or whatever it is if someone didn't want to go through um these heroic kinds of measures that's up to them but i think you know it's funny i think that the reason why i'm having a, a stronger reaction to what you've written now is because since the time that I gave a blurb for your book, which you still deserve, it is a very well-written book, and it will help a lot of people. And I definitely recommend that people should go look at it and buy it, and, and, but, but, but with, with this caveat that now that we have Obamacare being shoved down our throats, the reason why I feel differently or more strongly about you know, not wanting to encourage people to welcome death is that there is going to be, there already is, because of economic issues, a push towards wanting to take, wanting to encourage people to not um, try to live longer, to sort of, you know, give up, in my eyes, um, uh, you know, to, to, so that, to save everybody else the money that it's going to cost to keep them alive for another month or six months or a year. So go for it. Did you want me to respond? Yes, okay. go ahead. I think we're talking apples and oranges, Dr. Lieberman. I don't advocate that people die. It's an eventuality that comes to all of us. I think your patient was lucky to have you, but she wasn't really at the end of her life yet. She didn't have anything that was going to get her heart or her lungs that would actually cause a point of death. So she did have some good time. She probably had more than six months. Maybe she had a year because of you. I am advocating that people actually look at their lives when they have been given a terminal diagnosis, maybe not a, a time frame. My book has all the questions to ask all the specialists, providers, social workers, RNs, whoever, in an opinion phase to find out actually where they are so that there is no, no question about what's going to happen so that they, they have a finite diagnosis and that any provider, any specialist would do the same test and they would all come out with the same, same analysis. This helps people process that information. So they know that really there's no turning back, that they're now pilgrims. They're no longer patients. They're on a journey, and every person's journey is the same. Your patient was a little bit different from my patient, but I'm sure there came a time when someone uh, said, well, there's really little we can do for this lady now, but keep her blood sugars at a good level and just monitor any signs and symptoms of infection. But eventually she would pass away. But um, I don't understand Obamacare. I don't think we really have true health care reform. I think we just kept the beginning of health insurance reform. I don't think that I, I, we just got um, a notice in the mail that our premiums are going up 31% next month, and there's really nothing wrong with me. I'm just old, but, um, and I have high blood pressure, but that's about it. But um, I'm not advocating that people die. I'm advocating that people really look at their lives I'm advocating that people get all the information they can through their opinions. And, in fact, there's places to write all the answers to the different opinions so that the patient and the family can process all the, all the answers on their own time. But um, I have no problem with people living for as long as they can, as well as they can. But I think there comes a certain point when uh, you have to face the music. Even the providers have to... But, okay, but the thing is that by telling people, you know, as a psychiatrist, um, there is so much, so much about the way I look at illness is that so much of it has to do with the psychological state. Your psycholo we, we know, for example, that depression can cause right. people 
to, can, well, can decrease the immune system and to, to right. cause people to get diseases like cancer and so on. Um, and if you tell someone that even the, the diagnosis, a terminal diagnosis, doctors don't know really when patients are going to die. I mean, it's horrible when doctors say you probably have three months to live or six months to live. You know, they don't, I mean, they can, yes, from their, based on their experience with patients of that same kind of uh, diagnosis and the same kind of lab values and so on, they give their best estimate. But they're not God, and they don't know precisely, and it's going to depend very much on the psychological attitude of that person. Right. And if so, so if someone is given you know, a so-called terminal diagnosis, that in itself can make the patient depressed and then cause them to die sooner. Well, oh, I, oh I hear I the music. I'm sorry. Okay. I was going on and on, and now I hear the music. I'm sorry. We do need to take another break. This is going so quickly. My guest is Damiano Desano Iacovazzi. His book is Sooner or Later, Restoring Sanity to Your End-of-Life Care, and I promise I'll give him a chance to talk when we come back. <laughs> I'm Dr. Carol Lieberman, your, your psychiatrist host. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carroll is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carroll wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarroll.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarroll.com If you're a parent, you face all kinds of challenges. You know you're a good parent, but we have a show that may help you become a better one. It's called The Book of Dad Radio Show. Hosted by expert husband and wife team Robert and Ulette Benson. This program will answer your questions about a variety of topics that parents need to stay on top of. It's a roundtable of discussion that's great for the weekend or anytime. Tune in to the Book of Dad radio show every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a wow, a wise, outrageous woman of a certain age who wants thrilling work, vibrant health, joyful relationships, financial freedom, and the new F word, fun, in the next stage of life? Join host Lynn Schreiber in the Wow Zone each week where you'll meet amazing women who are creating lives filled with passion, purpose, and pizzazz. In the Wow Zone, broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Anything is possible. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. If you're a parent, you face all kinds of challenges. You know you're a good parent, but we have a show that may help you become a better one. It's called The Book of Dad Radio Show. Hosted by expert husband and wife team Robert and Ulette Benson. 
This program will answer your questions about a variety of topics that parents need to stay on top of. It's a roundtable of discussion that's great for the weekend or anytime. Tune in to the Book of Dad radio show every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you a wow, a wise, outrageous woman of a certain age who wants thrilling work, vibrant health, joyful relationships, financial freedom, and the new F word, fun, in the next stage of life? Join host Lynn Schreiber in the Wow Zone each week where you'll meet amazing women who are creating lives filled with passion, purpose, and pizzazz. In the Wow Zone, broadcast live every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Anything is possible. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking about where's Waldo, where's death. My guest is Damiano DeSano Iacovazzi. And his book is Sooner or Later, Restoring Sanity to Your End-of-Life Care. And we have a caller, Nansula from New York. Nansula? Good afternoon. Hi. I feel like I'm somewhere in between both of you. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm 66 years old. I'm strong and healthy, and that wasn't an accident or some kind of um, lucky break. I've done a lot to take care of myself and have lived through illnesses. I decided that the way we look at health care is not health care, it's sick care. And as long as we pay insurances and have these kinds of dialogue, we really don't think that we have a responsibility towards our life. I had a doctor tell me that if I didn't take something the rest of my life, I'd probably be dead in no time. Well, I told him I couldn't do that because I don't know what I'll be doing the rest of my life, so I wouldn't be looking for drugstores to get that. Mm. And I'm saying I think that we're in a time now where taking responsibility for who and what you are and beginning to understand who and what you are and not just listening to people who have records of you die if you do this, you have that if you do that, and really taking a look at what do I want to do with my life, because I think it can be done, and I think that's the future. Yes, thank you, Nansula, absolutely. Um, that is the way our health care and our health insurance is set up, that you get paid, but there's very little put towards preventive care or towards doing things like guided imagery or right. uh, alternative medicine or massage or all of these other things to keep us healthy. Uh, that is not rewarded in a sense. That's not paid for, and that's not really promoted enough. Instead, it's the, the sicker you are, you know, if you need surgery, you get a lot more money, or the doctors do. Than yeah, if I had breast cancer, everybody would be at my aid. The fact that I need my teeth fixed so that I can hang on to the rest of them, okay. there's nothing available to me. There is no insurance. There is no Medicare. There is nothing. And all I'm trying to do is keep myself healthy. But if I had breast cancer, I could go in the hospital tomorrow, and millions would be sent spent on saving my life, okay. which taking care of my teeth would cost a lot less. Yes. Well, thank you for calling, and I'll let Damiano um, respond. Thank you. Damiano? Yes, he's completely right that everything is backwards here. Um, we don't make any money for education. Uh, we don't make any money keeping people well longer. 
She's absolutely right. And I hope with maybe with the new Obamacare, we'll start looking at a primary prevention model that includes dental care, eyeglasses, hearing aids, and things like that that make people's lives better probably even better nutrition and better prenatal care since we're always behind Turkey in the world. Well, I, yeah. I, I don't know that we need Obamacare for that, but it, certainly that premise, that idea is important. I mean, we do need to take responsibility for it ourselves regardless of what kind of insurance we have or don't have or who the president is. Um, these are all things that people can do for themselves. Um, you know, an example, let's see, what time is it? Oh, we're, we're so, we're so running out of time. Oh, first of all, I want to make sure that people, um, have your website. That's the most important thing, which is soonerorlaterbook.com. Soonerorlaterbook.com. You can obviously buy the book, uh, on Amazon and in bookstores and so on. Um, I will read my, my blurb on the back of the book, which I, which I still, I still agree with. I just, it, I wrote, sooner or later, gently guides the reader past denial and into death, a subject we inevitably need to confront. This book lays the foundation for us to ask profound questions of our loved ones and ourselves. And that's true. And, and for, for nothing else but that, I think that the book is valuable to sort of break through some of our denial uh, about death so that we can confront it and talk about it uh, not when we're dying or not when we have a terminal diagnosis. If it was more sort of a, a less of a taboo topic and more something we talked about with our friends and our loved ones, then this whole issue wouldn't be, you know, as, as terrifying. You're absolutely right. So tell us more in the time that we have left about, about just mention the foundation again and how the money proceeds from this book are going to the foundation. Um, the foundation's name is Thomas Edwin Walls Foundation, and it is named after my first partner who died in 1999, and he is Edwin in the book. Um, he was my patient sometimes, but I gave him over um, to the oncologist. And um, Thomas died at age 46 in San Francisco, and I took care of him. He had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And um, I want to dedicate my foundation to his name and his good work in the world. And what we do is we provide scholarships to medical, nursing, social worker, and respiratory care therapy students so they may learn biomedical ethics to learn the signs and symptoms of impending death because actually you can tell usually six months in advance or so if people are probably heading down that road to get what's called the dwindles, their pre-albumin and albumin levels begin to go down. They also lose weight. So, and usually you can usually tell from your experience as a healthcare provider that, uh, you know, what, what the disease process is like. But tell me the truth. Haven't you seen in your 24 years of, of doing all kinds of, of nursing, including critical care nursing, I mean, you've had tons of experience, Certainly, you you must admit that you have seen pa- people who have been able to turn it around, largely based upon maybe not through traditional medicine all the time, but through you know going non-traditional paths, whether it's shamans or it's uh, you know drug going to Germany to a clinic like like um, what's his name did um, Patrick Swayze. You know, don't you think, for example, Patrick Swayze who who became a skeleton of his former self at the end, 
but still had what, like a year or so when he was, yes, he was going from one health care provider to another trying to, to be cured. But I don't think that he would uh, trade that for lesser time, you know, not doing that. I mean, what do you think? Actually, according to the literature, people in hospice tend to live longer than those who are pursuing every medical avenue, um, uh, about 87%, and that's also on the website uh, where, where the, the research is taken. I'm not so sure. I think it's really a personal choice. I know for me, I wouldn't want everything. I understand that I have a beginning and an end, and I would like to live my life on my terms, and certainly living in an ICU on a respirator, ventilated, turned every two hours and have my butt cleaned, I would not want that at all, and nor would I want that for my parents or my mother. Okay, and I guess that that's the key, that it's about really having a personal choice, and I guess my fear and why is that, that this choice is gradually um, potentially being taken away from us, especially if we don't have insurance or good insurance, or especially with whatever it is that this Obamacare is is dreaming up. But let's, I'm not. I'm trying not to trying to concentrate on uh, that not necessarily being a state accompli. Well, let me ta- thank you again for being on the show. Oh, it I was do. Delightful, Doctor Lieberman. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't wasn't too tough. Um, and I think that as a jumping-off point just to start discussions with friends and loved ones, that in itself is a great reason to buy this book. The book, again, is called Sooner or Later, Restoring Sanity to Your End-of-Life Care. And um, I, I think we need to start talking about the... We need to start talking more about death in order to recognize how important living life every day, every minute, really is. So, because when you think you have forever, because you don't want to think about, you know, your mortality, you tend to let the days go by and you waste them. So, again, my guest was Damiano Desano Yakovatsi, and the book is Sooner or Later, Restoring Sanity to Your End-of-Life Care. Thank you all for listening, and I wish you many, many days. <laughs> and um, not having to think of end-of-life care uh, too soon, but to think about making every day count immediately. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.